Thank you for tuning into In the Fight with Bo Templin. This was a special episode, guys. You know, as someone who's wanted to be a part of the sports broadcasting industry for so long, I mean, I've known I've wanted to do this since I was like five, six, seven years old. I've been a fan of mixed martial arts for that long as well. And at that age, you look up to these people that are doing it, the best of the best, and you just want to be half as good as they are. You just want to take a little bit of them. You want to sound like them. And to get to talk to my guest today was an absolute honor, privilege. I really, I could not be more excited. And for the podcast to go well was an even greater gift. I mean, I think we were able to go back and forth. He was able to give me an insight. He was able to give me advice. I I can't ask for anything more. And and for him to have some confidence in my future was pretty unbelievable as well. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. I think this was remarkably special. This is the voice of the UFC, the guy you hear every Saturday night during fight night. Next to Joe Rogan, next to Daniel Cormier, he's calling the big fights. Not the fights, he's calling the big fights. So today on In the Fight with Bo Templin, without further ado, may I present John Anik. This is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, March 15th. It is around 9.30 here in San Diego, California. And this guy's probably pretty used to doing some introductions of fighters, and he's probably pretty used to doing the intros as you get a big show going. But now he's going to sit on the other side, and I'm going to take care of things today. Today, ladies and gentlemen, on In the Fight with Bo Templin, I have the voice of the fight game at this point, John Anik, John, thank you so, so much for this time. It means more than you would ever know. My pleasure, Bo. I appreciate the intro. And it is nice to sit back and have you do the heavy lifting today. And man, I wish I was in San Diego, California. I am looking outside at sunshine in Boca Raton, Florida. But when I tell non-Americans where they need to go to know what our country is all about, it's not all Vegas, folks. Go to San Diego. America's finest city, right? Um, I do want to let you know that I am wearing Look the at this. proper Look at this. Uh, Modelo brewed for those with a yeah. uh, fighting spirit. I think fighting yeah, spirit right. brought, brought to you by Modelo. Oh, yeah. everyone always goes crazy, obviously, with the uh, Ben Askren Jorge Masvidal knockout. So, John, before we get started today, this is a big one right here. Yes, I went to journalism school at Missouri University of Missouri. Good for you. Yeah, you know, people in the journalism industry kind of know that that's a not a big deal, but you know, you go there if you want to do journalism. I wanted to do sports broadcasting and I went to the radio station at, on campus, student radio station. I was like, "Yo, I want to do a show, blah blah blah." My first day at the radio station, I'm sitting in cuz you have to sit in like before you get your credits to get your own show. And my first day sitting in, you made a guest appearance on the radio show that day for the student journalism program. How about that? So kind of just coming full circle as it is. And, you know, you didn't have to do it, obviously. Like you could, there's so many things you could be doing, but for you to do that, take time out of your day 
talk to students who want to do really what it is yeah. that you're doing. That's really cool, man. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And it is a little bit tricky as your profile gets bigger because the requests and the volume becomes a lot and it can be cumbersome. And I do try to a man, to a woman out there, if you're listening or watching, try to honor those requests as much as possible, especially when they come from students or younger people, you know, not like I'm soliciting dozens of, of interview requests right now, but I feel badly when somebody will write me and say, here is a, a, a high school game that I called. Can you please psychoanalyze this and send me your feedback? And it's like, bro, I love you, but I got three kids who don't get enough of my time. So in those instances, I'm torn, but I'm happy to get the chance to chop it up with you. And uh, when was that interview I did at the, on that stick in college sure. Probably a long time ago? So I graduated uh, December of 2019 from the University of Missouri. My there first year was 2015. So I'm guessing this is around 2016. All right, Actually, this might've been pre-209 tattoo, John Anik. Well, there you go. It was March of 2016 when I got the tattoo. So probably about that same time frame. but uh, that's good for you. My, my younger brother went to Wash U in St. Louis. So I know the 314. Uh, I, know, I know the area well, so. Your brother must be a smart motherfucker. If he's Much smarter than all of us. Like <laughs> I assure you, like he actually knows like reading comprehension. He understands what he reads and read a bunch of books. Unlike his twin brothers who never read a textbook in our lives. So yeah, I could not last at WashU nor get in on my best day. Yeah. My mom, uh, my mom's written like two books. She's a public speaker, speaks to these big companies, you know, motivational. And here I am. I, I talk about people punching each other in the face. Hey. So, Hey, you know, you're both talking. You're both talking. Um, so, John, I am a huge fan of yours. Like, I, I you, know sir. that being in the industry, like, I'm not really supposed to do it that way. But I love listening to you explain the fight game. Um, you bring enthusiasm. You bring joy. It just sounds so genuine. Like, there's just no faking it. Um as someone who's like trying to get there, right? Like, I don't even know if that I'm necessarily trying to do play by play per se, but just climb the ranks, become a voice in this game, talk to fighters. When you were 23, what were you doing to kind of like take those steps? So I'll try to answer this as efficiently as possible. And I'll start by saying that it wasn't until I was 27, 28 where I actually really started to understand who I was and felt like I had any sort of wisdom. But when I was 22, I thought I knew it all. So I do think that your formative years in your late 20s intellectually can be a really big deal. But what I would do is I literally was working at either a newspaper or a radio station and I would come home. And sometimes I was also cross-working with autistic children as a vocational coordinator doing job coaching and things like that. So, but whatever time that I did not spend working, I was just sending out demo tapes. I mean, it was a little bit different back then. I, I don't even know when I got my first email address, you know, I think when I showed up to college in 1997 and they gave me like a number, but I was constantly sending out demos and I would not hear back from Missoula, Montana, but I would hear back from Bristol, Connecticut. You know, I heard back from the mothership uh, and I got an audition at ESPN radio that eventually was a springboard for me. But I think that it sounds to me like you're a young man who knows what he wants to do in some way, shape or form. Later on, you'll be able to crystallize whether you want to do live events or studio stuff or if you want to do print or 
print journalism was always a love of mine. I was clean as a writer, but I wasn't super creative or particularly good, but I felt like I could articulate myself. So I gravitated towards broadcasting, but I had to be in a studio in Bristol, Connecticut to realize that I didn't want to be in a studio and I wanted to do a live event. So you'll find your footing, but I, I think the most important thing for young people as soon as you can is to crystallize what you want to do, what field you want to be in and, uh, stop at nothing to, to get there or wherever you want to go within that field. I got to say, I'm, I'm kind of one of the lucky ones because this, this gig that I've got here at 1:37 PM, it's as good as it kind of gets right now. Like I'm, I'm getting to do a, a weekly fight podcast. I've talked to former champs. I've talked to current contenders. I talked to Aljamain Sterling last week. I talked to, uh, Demetrius Johnson. I've gotten to talk to Anthony Pettis. Like this has just been unbelievable. And I just like pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, dude, you're 23. You were watching these guys like a year ago at the college bar betting on it with your friends. So this turnaround has been crazy. And I'm just trying to take in everything, like whatever I can get, just consume, take in process yeah. and learn if I can. So, um, I've admired just the way you've done it the whole time, man. You're really, really good. And I know that you get frustrated a little bit about the preparation comments because, oh, John Anik, man, you got to see his notes. He's, he's the biggest preparation homework guy in the business. Well, are you any good? Yeah, you're really good, John. So thank you for being the voice of the UFC for Well, us. hey, I, I appreciate it, man. And uh, oh, to be getting the reps that you're getting at 23 years old, that would have had a lot of value to me. So good for you for, for getting after it. And uh, I do think that you want to be getting better and not getting worse. And the best way to do that is to get repetitions. You know, I may cringe when I listen back to some of my early UFC calls but I do think by and large, I stand behind the work, even if my voice was an octave higher. But I do think I have found my voice and my footing and uh, maybe my leash is longer with the UFC in terms of allowing my comedy and my personality to come out a little bit. Uh, but I think anybody who listens to my podcast and knows who I am knows that I, I've tried to, to stay true to myself within the broadcast lanes that I have to stay in. So I last question kind of about just the growth of myself or the growth of any young journalist per se, like trying to make it. Um, when you look back on those old ones, like what is the night that you think you had the worst? And then the night that you just were on fire, like a night you're like, yo, I'm feeling it tonight. And a night you look back like, wow, we should burn those tapes. So there's so many shows, Bo, I would love to give you some super thoughtful answer. I mean, I can tell you like the sickest I've ever been on the air was December 5th, 2009, doing a Bellator show. I didn't think I was going to make it. But uh, no, I mean, I think there are nights where, and again, just trying to give you some sort of insight where you just feel great on the prelims and then I'll flub on the main card. I'm like, God damn it. You know, I've been clean all night on these smaller fights and now everybody's watching the pay-per-view and I can't fucking put a sentence together. So more of those emotions than show to show. But I don't pre-plan my calls. So there's certainly calls over the years that I'm particularly proud of where we've really, the two of us or the three of us have really provided a great historical soundtrack that is special and unique to that moment. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They're definitely, we've never had a perfect show. But I try not to like lean into the negativity after the show and be so down on myself that uh, I can't enjoy time with my children. So uh, 
there's a balancing act, but uh, I'll let you know, Bo. You'll be the first to know if we ever have a perfect show. We haven't had one yet. God bless. I'm holding you to that. Um, you know, as a, a younger kid or whatever, a lot of times people are so quick to comment on my stuff. Like, oh, this kid started watching UFC two weeks ago. He has yeah. no idea what he's talking about. That's going to happen. Obviously, that's not the truth. I've been watching since Nate Diaz was on The Ultimate Fighter. I was six years old. So, you know, have I seen every UFC fight that's ever gone down? No. Was I alive when Hoist Gracie was doing his thing? Was I there when Chuck and Tito were going at it? No, I wasn't old enough. But you can't, I feel like, hold that against me because I'm doing the best I can to do my homework, go back, watch the UFC, watch the documentaries, and do everything I can. So, and yeah, the voice is still a little high, but we're we're getting there. No, <laughs> we're well, trying to get there. My voice is damaged. It's not necessarily it's damaged. It, voicing video games and voicing all these UFC fights. I, I've found my voice and maybe found things tonally, and maybe I use my diaphragm a little bit better than I used to. But I have an identical twin, monozygotic identical twin, who I have the same DNA with. And if you hear us talk, we used to sound a lot more alike than we do now so uh keep that voice my man as long as you can what year were you born i mean were you you weren't even born in the 90s what no you're probably like what are you 23 uh, i didn't want to say it but the year you went to college in 97 1997 it's always amazing when we have a fighter and it's like well joe she was born in 1999 it's amazing well i Good would tell you, man i would tell kids at the bar I, and you know we're watching the fights or whatever and everyone always asks me like oh who do i bet on blah 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 my God, listen, I'm not telling you what to do with your money, but understand that whatever you're doing, it's not nearly as cool as what they're doing because they're a year younger than you and they're fighting on, you know, the prelims Crazy. of the UFC. I mean, it, the evolution of this sport, I guess is a decent little segue, just the evolution of this sport to now go to where we have legitimate contenders at 22, 23 years old. It's remarkable. I mean, it's crazy. This is a sport now where we have six, seven, eight-year-olds training to become mixed martial artists, not practicing one individual art. Yeah. Well, it it dovetails with fitness in a lot of respects. So I think for parents, there's an easy tie-in. But there are two parts of it. You have the parents who are introducing the martial arts, and that is happening more often in theory, and, and people watching the UFC in theory, is having them put their children in martial arts. And then you have kids who just are all about it in their own right, whether watching it or participating themselves. So uh, it's exciting. I mean, it, you know, I we've been sort of had this initiative to get mixed martial arts to be a mainstream sport for a lot of us, whether we're journalists or otherwise, for a long time. Like we've been at this since 2007. So we knew it was going to take, you know, more than a quarter century to to make it a big five in this country, NHL, MLB, NBA, NFL, and UFC. And uh, we're closing the gap, my man. We're not there yet, Bo. Let's talk about uh, some of those other big five, though, because you've done college football. I mean, you do. You, is that something you want to continue to kind of explore? Or was that just a one a one off where you're like, yo, I can't pass up an opportunity like this to do this for Fox. I mean, I love football. I'm contractually obligated to the UFC. So there are limitations within my contract, but no, I would love to do an NFL football game. College football is a big challenge for me because I don't follow it 
regularly. I just don't have the ability to. I do 25 Saturday nights for the UFC, so I'm not immersed in college football the way I am in the NFL. I've been playing fantasy football and betting on the NFL since, you know, you were born. God damn it. But that's the truth. So I would love to do football. It's certainly in my wheelhouse, even though I didn't play. Uh, it was the sport that my family was most into. We were Patriot season ticket holders when they were the laughing stock of the NFL. So I love football, but I have my dream job now. So, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I got to earn the seat every show and and we got a big pay-per-view coming up in, uh, in 12 days. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess feet up in retirement, if I ever get there and ever can stop working, I'd probably be disappointed if I never got to do an NFL game. Do you enjoy those? other 25 weekends where you're not doing the UFC or do you have a little bit of FOMO as the kids call it, you know, the fear of missing out like this last weekend, you're watching, you know, Bilal, a guy that you're pretty close with, right? Like, do you have that? Like, Oh man, I wish I'm there right now. It's a good question. And I'll answer it. Honestly, I have often even said to my bosses, you know, maybe I lack ambition at times, or maybe it's just the introvert in me, but they'll be like, Hey, do you want a single on camera? Like to start the ABC telecast? And I'm like, no, just put the three of us out there. Like, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that I don't have an ego, you know, but I really am humble at my core. Like I don't care to be the star of the show. And that's sort of an interesting position to be in. So I don't know if I answered your question directly, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's weird for me. My twin brother was always the performer, majored in musical theater. I was just going to see his shows. I just want to be a radio guy weighing 200 pounds off camera. But one thing led to another, and uh, and here we are. But I'm thankful to be in the television space. And uh, you know, I certainly don't take take the seat for granted. When you kind of like look at all the different media obligations that you do, whether it's like Maybe it is the intro for a big pay-per-view. Maybe it's going on SVP to to recap a fight weekend or something like that. Is there something that still kind of rattles the nerves a little bit? Well, I think it's more adrenaline than it is nerves. Certainly, yeah. I'll tell you when I'm sitting in a studio on a desk, I I don't have any nerves whatsoever. And I wish I had more adrenaline maybe in that setting. I mean, I can get it going, obviously. But – no, when the UFC pay-per-view open is hitting and I'm getting ready, it's weird now I'm doing it sitting down, looking into a camera, unless we're on Fight Island. It's very weird for me to do that opening sequence and not be able to stand up and really let it rip with a stick microphone. Doing that on a headset is not ideal. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are nerves, but only good nerves. My anxiety, as I'm sure you've heard me say this, is in the preparation. Because uh, prepping for these shows is just an absolute beast. Uh, 30 fighters, as we had a couple of weeks ago, it's a lot. So for me, the anxiety is in the preparation. And then when it comes showtime, I really just try to let it rip and have fun. So I'm a huge fan of this segment of your podcast. But for people that don't know, can you explain uh, the name game that you've kind of been able to come up with? Because people always ask me, like, yo, how do you pronounce that? And I do my absolute best. like. I take the name seriously, you know, like you do. It's yeah. your job. It's 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 fucking important is what it is. Can you explain the name game segment that you do on your podcast with uh, Kenny? So the pronunciation of the week, we basically throw out a fighter. I give the name to my producer, but all he can do is look at that name. He can't solicit audio. And then he gives it a go. 
And more often than not, he fails because we're not putting him in, in position to succeed. He can't even go solicit tape, right? And then we play the actual audio of the fighter saying their name because even like our heavyweight champion, I don't want to ask you to say his name. I'm sure you'd fucking nail it, Bo. But uh, hopefully your mom doesn't mind us swearing all the guys. No, it's okay. Um, but Stipe Miocic, right? Like yeah. that is how that Croatian-American says his name. And if you want to suggest it's Miocic instead of Miocic, then that's okay. But it's not Miocic, you know? And I have an audio file of him saying it to prove it. So we've had a little fun with that on the podcast. And uh, our producer wishes I was a little bit uh, a little bit more generous when it comes to our scoring system. But uh, it's hard. It's hard pronouncing these names. Practice makes perfect. If you say it 50 times, can't miss. So can you explain how something like that might change over time? Because I remember when Francis Ngannou first got right. to the UFC, there was like confusion about how to say his name. So when he first got here – to the company, did he give a, did he not give a tape or how does that kind of change over time? So when I showed up in 2011, I came from ESPN where we had a pronunciation guide for every sport and every athlete. We didn't have them saying their names to tape, but we had a pronunciation guide with good phonetics written by people who knew how to read phonetics. So I showed up at the UFC. We have no pronunciation guide whatsoever. So the process has evolved. Um, but then it's also people's interpretation of those files. You have to have announcers who are willing to open the file and pronounce that name to the degree necessary to get it fucking right. And I can't say you that to a man, to a woman, people go in and listen to it to get it right. But we're doing better than we were doing, obviously, years ago. I mean, Stipe Miocic, his UFC debut, I think he was Stipe Miocic. So we're moving in the right direction. And, uh, I would just say to people, if people think we're being finicky, as long as you emphasize the right syllable, it's okay if that we're a little bit off on on the vowel. But focus on the syllable and uh, and practicing, and we'll all be on the same pitch. That's really, really good stuff. So before you got to the UFC, okay, I assume you were a huge fight fan for most of your life. So is there a fight that you wish you could have called? Like if you could pick any fight in UFC history that you could call – Go back in time. Be the guy to call before you got there. Which fight would it be? So I remember watching UFC 1 at Dan Sherman's house in Newton, Massachusetts. So Dan's going to really appreciate this, by the way. Yeah, so UFC 1 for me would be it for sure. Um, But no, I mean, I didn't necessarily grow up a huge combat sports fan. It was on here and there in Boston, but it was always the Celtics and the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Bruins to a lesser degree. But I got into boxing something fierce around the time you were born. And then I had the chance to cover probably 25 or 30 HBO pay-per-views from 03 to 2008 or so when I started in a more full-time capacity for ESPN. So there were a lot of big boxing pay-per-views. I would have loved to have had the chance. You know, I went to De La Hoya Mayweather, but obviously I didn't call any big-time boxing. I called a lot of small-time boxing for ESPN in a tiny room in Bristol, Connecticut, fights that were going on in the Philippines and Thailand and everywhere else. But yeah, it would be some of those big boxing matches. You know, Bernard Hopkins was a favorite of mine. Sometimes his fighting style would have made for some tricky navigations, calling a fight, I guess. But uh, I was a big boxing fan from probably 2000 to 2015. Now I'm less or so. So any of those big Mayweather-Hopkins fights from that era would certainly ring true with me. Sure. Um, is there a fighter, and I feel that this is the case, and 
a lot of people talk about judging in MMA or whatever, and really it's judging in combat sports because boxing has the same issues. And is there a fighter that you think looks better live than they do on TV or reversely someone who looks really good on TV, but live, it just doesn't seem quite as effective. It's a great question. <clears throat> I'm not going to take the easy out, but I will say off the top, Francis Ngannou. Sounds like an easy answer, but the scariest power puncher that I've ever seen. So I don't watch the monitor when Francis is competing. I watch the octagon. Generally speaking, we try to watch the monitor because that's what you guys are all seeing at home. So I would say 80% of the time I'm watching the monitor. When Francis fights, I'm looking straight ahead and watching that man in the octagon. But I've gotten this question before, and the answer is Piotr Jan, our former UFC Bantamweight champion. I didn't call some of his early UFC fights. And I remember when Rogan and I got to see him fight live for the first time. It's like, dude, this man is incredible. So uh, I would say Piotr Jan has been very impressive. And then obviously what Max Holloway just did, he comes to mind as well. Um, but uh, it's a different beast. I mean, if, if any of your audience hasn't seen our live events, once we're in a more normal climate, I guarantee you, if you come to a UFC live event, you'll be hooked on this shit like me and Bo. If you come watch it live, you will be, I promise. Uh, so I guess a congratulations is in order because you're coming back to ABC. That's uh, right. Is that I thought you were going to say because you're not having any more children. And I would say thank you. Yes, we are not having any more children. Um, yes, ABC, uh, April 10th, April 10th from Vegas. Yes. Very, very exciting. How much, and I know you've answered this question before, so I apologize for asking it. How much different is the preparation for an ABC event versus a regular, maybe an ESPN Plus fight night or a pay-per-view event? Not to pay-per-view is the real beast in terms of the preparation differentiator, if you will. Um, ESPN shows and ABC shows are a little bit more involved from a sponsorship and a sales standpoint than an ESPN Plus show. The easiest show we would do would be ESPN Plus wall-to-wall because it's one network, two television formats versus three. Uh, Pay-per-view is a beast, man. Pay-per-view is an absolute beast. It is a sprint to the finish line. Cram, sometimes people think is a negative verb or there's negative connotation with the word cram, but it is a sprint literally preparing right up until we go on the air. Man, I can't even imagine because I know that my preparation for these 25-minute podcasts that is almost up can be a bit crammed. So I can't even fathom what it must be like doing that. Um, So you're a boxing fan, and we just got the news a little bit ago. I don't think it's official, official, but just we can briefly look at Joshua Fury. Eddie Hearns come out and said that the deal's signed. I'm kind of waiting to hear from uh, top-ranked side of things with uh, Fury before I really celebrate and say, all right, the fight's on. But like, how invested are you in in boxing nowadays? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, what you just said there piques my interest. That piques my interest, but short of that, uh, it's, and it's a time thing more than anything else, right? Like I don't even watch Bellator, not because I don't enjoy the high level nature of it or a lot of their athletes, but I just don't have time for the PFL or, or any of, uh, of the non UFC live events. So boxing, I probably buy two or three pay-per-views of a year. I'm interested in Canelo Alvarez, you know, but, uh, beyond that, man, uh, it's, it's football, it's fighting and, uh, it's fatherhood. So do you know, so the lines that you know, because you know every single Las Vegas betting line in the history of Las Vegas maybe, um, is that out of fandom? Is that out of professionalism? And is it just football fight related or do you kind of get outside of that? 
Well, DraftKings is a UFC sponsor now, so yeah, we yep. do a lot of that on the broadcast. That isn't all driven by me, but I do lean into it because it's a passion of mine. And yeah, I mean, I think if you're asking me what my dream job would be to go to Vegas and be a professional sports better, I placed my first three-team Major League Baseball parlay in 1996 when your mother was probably pregnant with you. So I'm all about it. And I, I think it's a great lens through which to look at these sporting events. And I think anybody who is not considering the betting line, like when you mentioned that boxing match, like my first thought is what's the line? Uh, I so think I can, do you want, do you want yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Yes. I, I think, I think Fury is the favorite at like yes. minus 190 or minus 200. Joshua is somewhere around that on the plus side. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I like Fury uh, in that minus one ninety range. I, so right, I, so I do agree, and I tend to stay away from predictions, as you now also stay away from predictions, just because uh, we're a part of the Vayner Sports branch. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! First, for this is a brand new mic arm. This is the first time it's co- fucking come at me like that. Excuse that was, me. Sorry. It was like a snapping jab that landed on you there. I'm telling a you, bit. hopefully it's not a meme or whatever the kids call it. Yeah, a, a, a GIF or a GIF maybe. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> uh, we were – okay, we were on the betting line. Yeah, I, I like you. I try to stay away from uh, making predictions because as a part of Vayner Sports, we have like clients under our roster. I don't want to pick for them because then it's a biased pick and I don't want to pick against them because we're trying to manage relationships. So I'm with you. Now I'll try and give fight insight or whatever if a radio station calls me up and says, hey – can right. you do a five minute segment? I'll be like, yeah, I tend not to get predictions, but I do my best. What, how have you kind of managed that the last five years since the, the 209 tattoo incident? So the 209 tattoo was the impetus, I suppose, in a lot of respects for me, not making picks on my podcast anymore, but I probably never should have made a pick once I started calling UFC fights, just because it stood to reason that I could call the next fight involving those athletes. So that's really the impetus for not making picks. But I can assure you, if I was ever in a different role, I would be the first to want to offer up a free play or a prediction, because I certainly think a lot about that. And, um, you know, the the tricky thing is how often I get asked about it. You know, hey, who do you like in this fight? It's like, well, dude, not only am I contractually prevented uh, from betting on it, but I'm technically prevented from telling you who I like or which way I would lean. So it's a tricky navigation. I do look forward to the day, even though I hope I work for the UFC until I die. But I do look forward to the day potentially when I'm 65 years old and I can bet on a UFC fight for the first time in 40 years. I got to say, I'm a little heartbroken to hear that you want to work with the UFC for the rest of your life. I was hoping maybe no, you were. I don't. Okay. I don't. I take that back because ultimately, you know, you asked me about the fear of missing out. Yeah, no, Bo, if you wanted to come on in, you know, I tell everybody, come get it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't know how long my voice will hold up. I definitely don't want to do this forever. These events are like eight hours on a headset. It's an awful lot. And I think it would be a tremendous disservice to my children if I continued to be gone a hundred nights a year forever. And uh, yeah, I also think too, you got to let some young guys come in and shine. Right. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I hope to be doing this in some capacity, but I also hope to uh, make a pretty good run at the senior tour and get good at golf one day too. So, uh, you know, we'll see Bo, but I got, I, I, if I could buy stock in you, Bo, I would buy stock in you. All right. Well, I will buy a round of golf for us the next time you're out in San Diego 
We can go play, see how the game is, and we can work from there a little bit. Because I, I can play a little bit. My last question for you, John. The conversation since the adesanya Blahovich uh, matchup, a lot of people kind of came out and said that the commentary was leaning towards Adesanya, right? And they would say, oh, the feints were really effective, and ultimately the feints don't score, right? So people are having that conversation. What's your kind of takeaway when people have that? Do you listen to it much? Do you say, hey, it's just the fans. They're always going to be something to say. What's your kind of takeaway when people do have something to say in regards to commentary? I definitely hear it, and I try to take it all as constructively as possible. Sometimes you have to sift through some nastiness to to get anything productive uh, in sort of what can be a toxic space. But uh, I think sometimes after something like that happens, you want to watch a fight back sooner than you otherwise would. So I did watch that fight back. I didn't see it the way the judges did as a clean 4-1 for Jan. I thought the first three rounds were close. And uh, I think our call kind of reflected that. But yeah, I think overall there were times where maybe Bohovic wasn't getting the credit he deserved in totality. Uh, but again, Kenny Florian, my podcast partner, thought that Adesanya won the fight. I had a 3-2 for Jan Bohovic, but uh, largely I stand by the call. And, uh, you know, I'm happy with the way we handled certain situations in that fight. But I, I always encourage the back and forth with fans. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels like show by show. I'm always putting out some sort of fire, whether it's with a fighter or a coach or with the general public. So it just kind of comes with the territory. But, um, you know, I don't I try not to take myself too seriously. And that usually helps with the uh, with the navigation. John, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for the time. I really enjoy the conversation. Enjoy every little bit, the feedback, the tidbits, the insight, all of it. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy the rest of your week. I look forward to hearing your voice on those uh, UFC Saturday night fight nights once again. Thank you, buddy. Congrats on uh, all the success, and uh, we'll do it again soon. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.